King to throw for it to the corner. Incomplete. Alabama survives at home. There will be no back-to-back -back upsets. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. I am your host, Cam Matthews. You can find me at on Twitter at HeyCam93. And you can also follow the show, be part of the conversation at Chatting Yardage. Week 7 coming up uh, here, here uh, this coming weekend. Hard to believe that we're already over halfway through the college football season. You know, it is, it's certainly flown by already. So this, uh, I believe this makes this episode seven of the show, which is hard to believe as well. I want to thank you all for, for listening and tuning in and, you know, just kind of being part of the show so far this season, you know, uh, it really, uh, really does my heart good to see that, um, you guys are enjoying the content that, uh, we're able to put out each and every single week and we'll continue to do so, uh, through the end of the season. Now, if you're listening to this, on the day that it has come out, then you are obviously listening to this on a Friday, and uh, last week's episode also came out on a Friday, so for the foreseeable future, that will be the release date um, of the pod. I know for the first few weeks, it was all on Thursday, but uh, due to some scheduling things, uh, it's going to work out better uh, for my schedule, at least, uh, with uh, work and family and, and all that good stuff. Uh, to be able to release on Friday. So uh, look forward to that every single Friday morning around 5 a.m. It should be hitting your pod feeds each and every single week. Boy, uh, week six, uh, you know, week six, the slate of games that, that we talked about and we looked at and the storylines and everything, it didn't necessarily feel as as high uh, as high octane so to speak as as the week prior in week five but I, I think that the week week six slate of games really uh really delivered on a lot of different notes there, there were a lot of good close games and there's a lot of stories that, that have come out of week six now to be on the lookout you know as as far as how it impacts the future of the season uh I spent most of the day this past Saturday actually out and about with the Mrs as we celebrated our uh, fifth wedding anniversary uh, so I was loosely keeping up with college football throughout the day and you know and kind of caught up on news and happenings uh, the next day on Sunday uh, if you have YouTube TV the catch up through key plays feature on on college games is an absolute lifesaver uh so that that was a good way of being able to run through some important games that i, I wanted to catch up on but you know i, I could tell from my notifications and, and from the text that i was getting all day that you know some some crazy things were certainly happening so we'll go ahead and kind of dive into 
uh, last week's pick six games and kind of review how those turned out. Also, by the way, if, if you're noticing that maybe my voice sounds a little bit different this week, your boy has the crud uh, this week, as comes normally this time of year with the changing of the seasons. So, been dealing with a, a dry, scratchy throat all week. So, gonna gonna try to get through this pod as best I can. I hopefully will have a voice by the end of it. But we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into it. So, uh, looking at last week's pick six games, uh, game one was TCU versus Kansas. TCU coming out with a close win, 38-31. to uh, Good back-and-forth game here. Uh, I think Kansas was down 10 to nothing to start with and then was able to fight their way back into it. Um, you know, and it's not a not a bad loss for Kansas at all. You know, TCU, who is still undefeated to this point, is kind of leading the charge uh, between them and Oklahoma State as far as the Big 12 goes. And so for Kansas to be able to stay with TCU, who is just having a really impressive season under uh, first-year head coach Sonny Dykes, uh, really not not a bad loss, so to speak. And, and, you know, they still have some ample opportunity to make some noise as the year goes on. You know, they still got to play Texas at some point, uh, you know, and a couple of other big games here and there. So uh, just a good back-and-forth game between uh, the Horned Frogs and the Jayhawks. Tennessee marches into uh, into Baton Rouge and takes down the LSU Tigers by a score of 40-13. to 13. And, you know, I, I mentioned last week that LSU is an extremely difficult place to go play, um, regardless of whether it's daytime or nighttime. And the fact that Tennessee went in middle of the day and knocked LSU off their block, so to speak, at home by a final of 40-13 to 13 shows, you know, I think it shows a lot about this Volunteers team that, you know, uh, that that's kind of one of those games that, especially for a team like Tennessee, who was undefeated up until this point, that feels like one of those games that you can certainly let get away from you. Um, it's a game that we have seen a team like Tennessee lose in the past repeatedly. Um, so it it it's it was a really really good note of them uh, on how they were able to get through this game and win pretty handily. Um, they've got a really good matchup this coming Saturday, which we'll get into later. And then the big one of the day, I think the game that had everybody talking uh, was Texas over Oklahoma, Red River shootout game. Longhorns pull away by a final score of 49 to nothing. Uh, when, when I got the, you know, I, I have oftentimes for these games that I you know usually pick for pick six and then, you know, various other games that I'm interested in for the day, I usually set up my notifications to where I receive every score update just so I can kind of track the progression of the scores of every game, especially when I'm not, you know, not necessarily home on a Saturday or not able to to see everything that's going on. And so I kept, you know, I kept getting score notifications for Texas. And then, you know, I'm not really paying attention to what the actual score is, but I realized, man, that's, that's a lot of... A lot of Texas notifications. And so I, I open up the game and I see that I think at that point they were already up 35 to nothing maybe. And, you know, I, I was I was shocked. You know, Oklahoma's third straight loss, first time since 1998 that they've lost three in a row in a regular season. Um, we knew that Oklahoma was not going to necessarily be national powerhouse year one under Brent Venables. And we also knew that he was not going to be able to transform what was already a poor defense overnight. But I, I don't think anyone expected to, for things to be going this poorly 
uh, but we'll have more on that later. Uh, Utah falls to UCLA at UCLA by a final score of 32-42. to The Bruins remain undefeated uh, as they continue to climb the rankings, uh, especially within the Pac-12. So they've got a couple of big games coming up for them. Utah, second loss on the season, who was heavily considered the favorite. Uh, when it came to the Pac-12, now suddenly is starting to fall behind. So uh, they're they're going to have to get something going if they want to kind of salvage their season. But with the season that UCLA and USC are having, and with the resurgence of Oregon, who you know hasn't lost since Week One against Georgia, uh, you know there, there's a lot of competition there in the Pac-12. And unfortunately, it, it feels like Utah might have let everyone pass them by uh, here at the halfway point of the season. Uh, BYU falls to Notre Dame by a final score of 28-20. to uh, The Cougs' second loss on the year now. Notre Dame uh, has kind of picked itself up uh, since that loss to Marshall. And so, it, you know, Notre Dame, again, while they already have a couple of losses on the season, and, you know, that, that kind of knocks them out, especially as an independent of college football playoff uh, consideration, it's, you know, I think it shows that this team was kind of able to dust itself off some, but they still have a few tough games ahead. You know, they still have to play USC at some point this year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly what their record ends up being, because this was a game that BYU, I think, could have could have won. You know, they, they technically lost by one score, lost by eight. So, uh, you know, I think it says a little bit more about Notre Dame being able to find it, so to speak, at this point in the season. Um, But, you know, it's a disappointing loss for BYU, especially who I think had really high hopes for this year. But now two losses on the year again, it kind of takes away any any hopes as an independent of making the college football playoff. Because I think as an independent, when you don't have a – conference championship game to play for you have to be perfect to be in consideration for the playoff um and both times that we've seen notre dame in the playoff they've gotten you know run out of the stadium so uh, i think there's just there's just something interesting about that independent schedule um and, and how it shakes out for teams and then uh the last game of the week that we had for pick six alabama over texas a&m 24 to 20 avenging their loss last year in college station a, a really close game and you know i i talked up i talked it up last week about how i expected this to be a blowout and i think a lot of people did expect this to be a blowout um but you know alabama having played with a backup quarterback uh you know texas a&m putting on some you know really good defensive performance holding Alabama to only 24. I think you know I think we nobody really saw this game playing out the way it did and there's going to be a big magnifying glass on the final play of the game as well uh, for the play call that was made by Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you know I know that the thought was that a, pl- a play like that had been called earlier in the game to to you know, a successful outcome, but when you, when you don't have time on the clock for an additional play, I think you have to have, you have to go with something that was, you know, obviously you say results in results in a touchdown because that wins you the game, but I think you have to call for something that isn't outside of the goal line, right? Um, 
So, you know, definitely a questionable call there. Uh, a game that, you know, I think is a lot closer than a lot of people expected. But Alabama comes away with a win, but does drop in the AP rankings, uh, which we'll get to after we review the rest of the conference scores. Jumping into those now, scores from the SEC. Georgia rolls over Auburn final by a 42-10. to 10, And Brian Harson still has a job as of now. Ole Miss walks into Vanderbilt, walks out with a victory, 52-28. to South Carolina pulling off a shocking upset against Kentucky, 24-14. to Boy, Kentucky really starting to slip, uh, fall down the hill now. Uh, so, a tough break for them. Arkansas, uh, another bad loss for the, for the Pigs, surprisingly. Mississippi State takes down Arkansas, 40-17. to This Mississippi State offense... Really starting to find itself, you know, that Mike Leach air raid offense that we've gotten used to to expecting uh, from from him is really starting to come into its own now, as especially as they jump in jump up in the rankings this week. And then Florida with the close one over Missouri, twenty four to seventeen in the swamp. Now over to the ACC, Clemson easily handles Boston College, thirty one to three is your final there. NC State gets away with one against Florida State by a final score of 19 to 17. Again, the Wolfpack offense continues to struggle, and uh, FSU and Mike Norvell a bit of a questionable call at the end. You know, you're within field goal range. I get that you don't exactly have the best trust in your field goal field goal kicker at this point, but uh, you know it looks even worse when the, the very next play is an interception which seals the game. So State gets away with one. Uh, in in Raleigh, Wake Forest handles Army pretty handily, forty-five to ten. Louisville takes down Virginia, thirty-four to seventeen. Is your final there? Pitt uh, rolls over Virginia Tech, uh, wins by a couple of scores, forty-five to twenty-nine. Georgia Tech in overtime takes down Duke by a field goal, twenty-three to twenty. Is your final in that one? Uh, Duke now. Uh, with a couple of losses on the season, trying to salvage what was a really good start to a season. I think it's still an improvement over last year, but Georgia Tech undefeated since uh, since firing their head coach, uh, Jeff Collins, a few weeks ago. So, uh, you know, Tech now, I think I believe, sitting on a 3-3 three and three record, you know, they, they've, they've come a long way since firing Jeff Collins, and I think it's interesting what that says uh, potentially about his coaching culture and what was going on at Tech. You know, kids will play for a coach that they want to play for, uh, and, and the Yellow Jackets have certainly found something uh, since his dismissal. And then Carolina comes away with a big win over Miami, 27-24, to a game that, you know, the score probably should have been different for both teams. Uh, both teams turned away in the red zone a couple of times. Uh, you know, Carolina in the first quarter got aggressive on fourth and goal, were kept out of the end zone. You know, if you go for a field goal, then, uh, you know, that, that certainly changes the dynamic of the game. Same thing with Miami and Miami with, you know, with a couple of interceptions, Carolina with a couple of interceptions, just a, a good gritty win for the Tar Heels. Another loss for Miami uh, as Carolina now moves on to five and one on the season and undefeated in coastal play so far. Uh, but they've got a big one Saturday, uh, which we'll uh, which we'll probably mention later on in the show. Now to the Big Ten, Nebraska comes away from Rutgers, uh, winning fourteen to thirteen. Ohio State 
just continues to dominate everybody they play, taking down Michigan State 49-20. to The Spartans continue to struggle as this season goes on. Michigan with a, with a good win over Indiana, 31-10. to Purdue with a close one over Maryland, 31-29. to Wisconsin rolls over Northwestern, 42-7. to And then Illinois takes down Iowa by a final score of 9-6. to God bless anybody that actually sat and watched that entire game, which I, I will say, and I've seen this point made, you know, last Thursday's Thursday night football game was uh, apparently terribly, uh, just a, a terribly awful game to watch. Uh, fortunately, I did not watch it, but I have seen the point made, and I do believe it holds to be true. Bad college football will always be better than bad NFL football. Um, there's just something to be said about like the, the lore of a bad college football game. Whereas, you know, a bad NFL game just is just boring. All right. Now on to the big 12 Texas state or Texas tech rather falls to Oklahoma state 41 to 31 Oklahoma state remains undefeated on the season. Kansas state with a close one over Iowa state 10 to nine. Boy, what is up with Iowa teams staying in single digits? Uh, that's the only two games from there that we haven't already talked about now. On to the Pac-12. Washington State falls to USC 30-14. to The Trojans remain undefeated uh, with some big games up ahead. Oregon continues to really roll after week one, 49-22 over Arizona. Look out for the Ducks. Uh, you know, I think everybody had kind of buried them, written them off for dead after, after they fell to Georgia the way they did in the opening game. But uh, the Ducks have really come a long way and are starting to put up some really good numbers uh, so far. Washington falls to Arizona State, forty-five to thirty-eight. Washington on a bit of a skid now after you know after winning their first four or five contests, now having lost a couple in a row, uh, especially to Arizona State. That's not a team you want to lose for lose to, uh, especially if you're a guy like Michael Penix, who uh, I believe has big Heisman hopes. This season, uh, Stanford falls to Oregon State 28-27. Stanford having a really bad season this year. This is just not a good team sitting at the bottom of the Pac-12, and it'll be interesting to see how long uh, their head coach gets to stick around uh, there for the Cardinals. Now looking at the top 25, got a couple of new additions. I actually got three new additions this week. James Madison cracks a top 25, remaining undefeated at 25th. Illinois in at 24, and Texas back into the rankings at 23. Dropping out of the top 25 this week are BYU, Washington, and LSU. Your biggest drops, Kentucky falls from 13 to 22 this week, and Utah falls from 11 to 20 after their loss to UCLA. And your biggest risers, speaking of UCLA, one of them being the Bruins, as they rise from number 18 to number 11, and TCU jumps from number 23 to number 16. So how about the Bruins and the Horn Frogs? And your top four rounding it all out, Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, Alabama number three, and Clemson number four. Uh, you know, if, if it's a day that ends in Y during the college football season, you can just about bet on those four being your top four in one way or another. But, uh, you know, I think Alabama's still got a couple of tough games coming up. Ohio State has to play Michigan at some point, who's looking pretty good this year. Uh, you know, Clemson may may have the the toughest part of their schedule behind them at this point. But, 
Stranger things have happened throughout college football. Well, that's enough of me rambling here to open up the show. Gosh, we're already about 18 minutes in. Uh, We'll go ahead and jump into our first segment of the week. This is Four Down Territory. First down. You've probably heard the story of the biggest lopsided score in college football history. But what you may not know are some of the other stats that came along with it. On Saturday, October 7, 1916, Georgia Tech's football team beat Cumberland 222 to nothing. Quite simply, it is the biggest beatdown in the history of the game. Naturally, there are a lot of crazy numbers that came out of this game, and here are a few of them. There were 15 turnovers by Cumberland and just 45 total plays from scrimmage. So that means one-third of all of Cumberland's plays ended in a turnover. Those turnovers included nine fumbles lost by Cumberland, six interceptions thrown by Cumberland, seven of those 15 turnovers were returned for scores. Georgia Tech had five pick sixes and two scooping scores. The final touchdown of the game came in the fourth quarter when Tech's Jim Center intercepted a pass and returned it 30 yards to the end zone to make it 221 to nothing before the extra point. It took Georgia Tech one play to score first. After winning the coin toss, Georgia Tech elected to kick off. Cumberland was forced to punt, but the punt went just 20 yards and was returned for 18 for a net of two yards. On the very first play from scrimmage, tailback George Everett Strupper took the ball on a left-end sweep and scored. There were six kicks returned for touchdowns by Georgia Tech, including four punts and two kickoffs. That does not include one of the weirdest plays in college football history. Receiver who fumbled the ball, then Priest, the kicker, recovered the kick and scored. There were 24 total touchdowns by Georgia Tech that took one or zero offensive plays. Tech had seven defensive touchdowns, six kick return touchdowns, and 11 touchdowns for one-play drives on offense. 10 of the 28 offensive plays run by Georgia Tech did not go for touchdowns. Only 10. There were two Georgia Tech drives that took only three plays to score. Tech had zero drives of four plays or more. Georgia Tech faced zero fourth downs in the game. There were also zero first downs made in the game by either team. Cumberland either punted or turned the ball over on every set of downs it had, while Georgia Tech scored a touchdown on every set it had. Georgia Tech had zero plays that went for negative yards. 63 points scored by Georgia Tech were in both the first and second quarter. And quite possibly the most shocking stat of all from that day, Georgia Tech attempted zero passes. Second down. After Oklahoma's second consecutive blowout loss, this time at the hands of arch-rival Texas in the Red River Showdown, first-year Sooners head coach Brent Venables was blunt in his assessment of his team's performance in the post-game press conference. Quote, Really disappointed in how we coached and played today. I obviously did a poor job, Venables said. Oklahoma's 49-0 loss featured a second consecutive poor defensive performance, which Sooner fans have to be disappointed considering Venable's background and how he was heralded as a defensive coordinator at Clemson. It was also the Sooners' worst loss in the history of the Red River Showdown, 
as well as the first shutout for either team since 2006, and the most dominant margin of victory for either team since 2003. The Sooners allowed 585 yards of total offense, and they allowed Texas's top options on offense to do most of the damage. Longhorn star running back Bijan Robinson carried the ball 22 times for 130 yards and two scores. Quarterback Quinn Ewers, who has not played since the Alabama game in Week 2, returned to complete 21 of 31 passes for 289 yards and four touchdowns. For as bad as Oklahoma's defense played, the offense was equally as disappointing. Without quarterback Dylan Gabriel, who missed the game due to injury, the Sooners were shuffling options at quarterback for most of the day. The end result was 39 passing yards with two interceptions and a, by, as a collective group led by Davis Bevel's 6 of 12 passing for 38 yards and an interception. The Sooners entered the Red River sh- Showdown with two losses and left being shut out for the first time since 1998 against Texas A&M. If that 1998 season keeps coming up as the year progresses, there's a reason. Since Bob Stoops took over the program in 1999, Oklahoma has been a model of consistency. When Lincoln Riley was promoted internally in 2017, little changed. However, Venables is the first external hire at Oklahoma since 1998, and the team's performance looks like it. The Sooners are 0-3 in conference play under a new coach for the first time in program history. As a further means of comparison, Oklahoma has not lost more than two games in any season since 2014. Needless to say, Venables has his work cut out to redefine the Oklahoma program. Third down. Over the next year, Iowa State will commemorate Jack Trice, the university's first black athlete who aspired to use his education to help black farmers in the South. Trice was born in Hiram, Ohio in 1902, the son of a former Buffalo soldier, Green Trice. In 1918, Trice's mother sent him to Cleveland, Ohio to live with an uncle. Trice attended East Technical High School where he played football, and in 1922, Trice followed five of his teammates, as well as his former high school coach, Sam Williman, to Iowa State College in Ames, Iowa. While attending Iowa State, Trice participated in track and football primarily as a tackle. He majored in animal husbandry with the desire to go to the South after graduation and use his knowledge to help African-American farmers. On October 5, 1923, the night before his second college football game, Trice wrote the following in a letter on stationery at a racially segregated hotel in Minneapolis. The letter, the letter was later found in the pocket of Trice's suit. My thoughts just before the real college game of my life. The honor of my race, family, and self is at stake. Everyone is expecting me to do big things. I will. My whole body and soul are to be thrown recklessly about the field tomorrow. Every time the ball is snapped, I will be trying to do more than my part. On all defensive plays, I must break through the opponent's line and stop the play in their territory. Beware of mass interference. Fight low with your eyes open and toward the play. Watch out for cross bucks and reverse end runs. Be on your toes every minute if you expect to make good. On October 6, 1923, Trice and his Iowa State college teammates played against the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. On the night of the game, or on the night before the game, 
Trice got to stay at the same hotel as his teammates who stayed at the Radisson Hotel, but he could not eat with them in the dining room. During the second play of the game, Trice's collarbone was broken. Trice insisted that he was alright and returned to the game. In the third quarter, while attempting to tackle a University of Minnesota ball carrier, Trice ended up on his back after a roll block, a play which is now banned in football, and was trampled by three Minnesota players. Although he claimed to be fine, Trice was not able to stand and was removed from the game and sent to a Minneapolis hospital. The doctors declared him fit to travel and he returned by train to Ames with his teammates. On October 8, 1923, Trice died from hemorrhaged lungs and internal bleeding as a result of the injuries sustained during the game. There was a great deal of speculation surrounding the day that resulted in Trice's death. Iowa State teammate Johnny Bam told the Cleveland Plain dealer in 1979 that, quote, one person told me that nothing out of the ordinary happened, but another who saw it said it was murder. For those that don't know, Trice is the namesake of Iowa State's football stadium, the only one at the nation's major college football schools to be named for a black man. There will be major centennial programs and events to honor him, including a new sculpture at Jack Trice Stadium, a new name for the street just north of the stadium, a lecture series, university museum exhibition, a Cyclone football game featuring Jack Trice-era throwback uniforms, and a new website you can check out, Jack Trice 100, that's 100 numbers, jacktrice100.com. Additional programs and events will be announced over the coming year and posted to the website. A quote from University President Wendy Winterstein, Jack Trice's legacy of courage, commitment, and character is a source of tremendous pride and inspiration for all Iowa Staters. This year-long centennial commemoration is an important way to uplift and share the full breadth of Jack's story with a broad audience across Iowa and the nation. It is also an example to recognize our students and student-athletes who exemplify Jack's I Will spirit every day in the classroom, in competition, and across our campus. Fourth down. The following is a press release from Reese's University. What's in a name? Thanks to Reese's University new NIL deal, several college football players are about to get a whole lot of chocolate and peanut butter. The college football season is already off to an epic start, and what better way to win the season than to add Reese's chocolate and peanut butter footballs into the mix. The football coaches at Reese's University have been hot on the recruiting trail. Reese's University Department of Intercollegiate Athletes, Go Fighting Cuppies, is offering the tastiest and most exclusive NIL contract in history by signing 12 college football athletes with the last name, Reese. Our Reese name players are getting every player and fan's dream contract, including Reese's footballs and cups for the season and drip-worthy gear simply for having the best last name in the game. These items include a Reese's Reese chain, a custom game day blazer, cup links, a pair of custom cuff links in the legendary Reese cup shape, a football locker fridge, which is a mini-made, a mini custom-made fridge that will fit into the locker to help keep Reese's footballs at the perfect temperature, and much, much more. Reese's athletic director P.B. Letterman said, If anyone knows what snack in college football is the best, it's going to be the team of athletes, and it's going to be 
Reese's Footballs. Like I always say, the name on the front of the jersey is very important, but the name on the back can be great too. From our signed freshmen to our seniors, each team Reese player has some envious contract perks and their teammates are for their teammates to literally drool over, including their own overflowing Reese's football field fridge, sure to make each team Reese player the locker room favorite. Now, who are these players endorsed by Reese's Cups? Well, the team Reese lineup includes Andrew Reese, defensive back at Delaware State, Brody Reese, defensive lineman, University of Tulsa, Cameron Reese, defensive end at Troy University, Courtney Reese, running back, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, David Reese, linebacker at University of Florida, James Reese the fourth, defensive back, Tennessee State, John Reese Bellew, safety, Auburn University, Max Reese, tied in, Eastern Michigan, Michael Reese, defensive end, Duke University, Otis Reese, safety, University of Mississippi, Quentin Reese, safety at Liberty University, and Richard Reese, a running back for Baylor. Team Reese will champion Reese's footballs all season long by sharing with fans what it means to be part of the best team in college football via the Reese's University Instagram and player social media accounts. It's safe to say this deal is pretty sweet. And now we'll step aside as we do at this time each and every single week to throw things over to our official mascot correspondent, Alex Butler, with this week's Mascot Minute. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, we're featuring a mascot that is hard to define, Big Red from Western Kentucky University. Big Red is one of college sports' favorite mascots, mainly because nobody knows what it's supposed to be. Big Red is a valuable mascot on Big Red's own merits. Capably dancing and celebrating and interacting with fans and opposing cheerleaders, but it's the strangeness that really does it. Western Kentucky University's official description leans into the mystery of Big Red's background. Big Red, Western Kentucky University's athletic mascot, was born in the fall of 1979 and celebrates its birthday on December 1st. Big Red can be best described as the spirit of Western. The huge, furry, lovable creature was originally designed and built by Western Kentucky University student Ralph Carey of Cincinnati and made its debut during the Hilltoppers' 1979-1980 basketball season. Big Red has become a big hit with fans of all ages throughout the state and the nation. Big Red's signature moves are the belly slide and the belly shape. Big Red is, however, capable of shape-shifting and changing species. So what is Big Red? Let's take a look at the school's branding guide to get an idea. The notes about Big Red are that it must always be red, it must always be shown with WKU on the front, Big Red is neither male nor female, Big Red cannot talk, please do not portray talking with the use of conversation balloons. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. Pick six. 
It is now time for the pick six games of the week. Six games that I find interesting, and I believe you should too. First game this week, boy, we've got a lot of uh, of ranked matchups this week. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had five uh, in week five, which was the most that we had had since 2017. Well, this coming weekend we've actually got six ranked matchups, and I actually have five of them here as part of the pick six. So, first game of the week that you should pay attention to: number 10, Penn State at number five, Michigan in Ann Arbor. 12 p.m. start on Big Fox. I believe this is the fourth or fifth week in a row that uh, the Wolverines will be on Fox's game day uh, to ki- or Fox's noon kickoff or whatever it is they're calling it now. A, a big game here between two conference rivals, two two teams that really just don't like each other, but two teams that have high aspirations as the season continues to go on. Um, you know, Michigan has sat in the top five now the majority of the season. Penn State's been a little bit overshadowed uh, by Michigan and Ohio State when it comes to the Big Ten. So, a uh, big game here for Penn State to really prove themselves and a big game for Michigan to, you know, maybe show how good they actually are. Then we head over to the ACC, number 15, NC State, travels to number 18, Syracuse, 3.30 kickoff on the ACC network. Uh, you know, State coming off of a coming off of a loss to Clemson two weeks ago and then a very shaky win against Florida State last Saturday goes into a Syracuse team that is undefeated on the year, a Syracuse offense that is putting up big numbers so far this year. But State, without a doubt, will be the toughest competition that Syracuse has played yet. Uh, so, you know, th- this will be a good litmus test for just how good the Orange actually are, and this will be also a good test for State's, uh, state's Revel defense uh, because this, to this point, uh, might be the most o- explosive offense that they've faced so far. You know, Clemson has a good, well-tuned offense, but Syracuse likes to throw ball downfield. They like to, you know, put big numbers on the board, so it's going to be a good challenge for both teams. 3.30 p.m. kickoff on ACC Network. Third game of the week, number eight, Oklahoma State travels to number 12, TCU, and what very well might be the actual game of the week. You know, both teams undefeated in the Big 12 as Baylor uh, continues to slip. Texas is kind of out of the conversation now in terms of, of conference dominance. It comes down to these two teams in terms of the regular season, Oklahoma State and TCU. Oklahoma State, of course, has been right there the past few years, hasn't quite gotten over the hurdle. They were really close a year or two ago uh, when they were you know, just outside of the of the playoff uh really outside of the top four for a good while there tcu meanwhile i think is exceeding all expectations that that were perceived of them coming into this season you know anytime you come in with a brand new head coach especially after a rough couple of years you know you fire your long-term coach gary patterson you hire sonny dykes from smu i don't think anybody expected to have a top 15 team almost instantly and I don't necessarily think it's a fluke either. You know, Sonny Dykes brought quite a few players from SMU over to TCU with him. Uh, and, and this is a team that is just very well-rounded. Uh, they have a heck of a quarterback. They can put points on the board. They got a really good defense, which they're going to need against Oklahoma State, who, you know, is Oklahoma State is the Oklahoma State type of team that we're used to seeing. Big offensive plays, air raid offense, Mike Gundy special, put you know, putting big scores uh, on the screen. So I think, you know, th- for a 3.30 kickoff game on ABC, this might be one to settle in for uh, for the afternoon because I think we could see a wild back-and-forth contest here in this one. Not to be outdone, though, there is another 3.30 kickoff game on Saturday that I think is going to have most of the world's attention. 
and I'll certainly be keeping a close eye on it as well. That's number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee, 3.30 kickoff on CBS, your CBS game of the week. You know, Alabama ha- hasn't quite been the dominant Alabama team this season that we, we've we come to really know over the years underneath Nick Saban. They've had a few offensive problems. Uh, the defense has allowed more points, I think, than, than a lot of people thought they would. Tennessee, meanwhile, is, is exceeding expectations. You know, we talked about that with TCU. Tennessee, I think, is exceeding expectations, now climbing all the way almost into the top five at number six. And not only that, but you're playing at, you know, in Knoxville, an extremely hard stadium to go and play in. And this is a crowd that's going to be amped up. This is a huge game. This is probably the biggest game that Tennessee has had in a number of years. Uh, So, you know, Tennessee as an undefeated team, I don't think it's necessarily a a must win, so to speak, where, you know, Tennessee comes away with a loss. I don't think you chalk this season up as a failure. But, uh, you know, Alabama's still favored, but this is a game that Bama has to be careful in. Tennessee's very good, but this is also a game that if Tennessee loses, but it's a close one, I don't think you you walk away thinking that this season is done and over with because this is still a very good team, you know, that could be looking at a New Year's Six Bowl if things continue to play out well enough for them this season. Again, that's a 3.30 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Number five game of the week, number 16, Mississippi State at number 22, Kentucky, 7.30 p.m. kickoff on the SEC Network. Mississippi State continues to climb week in, week out in the rankings under the Mike Leach air raid offense, but, you know, really putting some good numbers on the board. Uh, taking care of Arkansas last week, you know the only blemish on their schedule so far is kind of a not you don't want to say a fluky loss, but kind of a, a funny loss against LSU, where maybe Mississippi State just kind of got lost in the lights in that one. Going up against a Kentucky team that that is skidding right now, you know they've lost two in a row. They lost to Ole Miss and then they lost to South Carolina last week. So it, you know for them, they they've really got to get back on track here with a win, and this is a home game for them as well, which should play into their advantage. But, boy, Mississippi State, you know, we talked about it before the Ole Miss-Kentucky game that if if Ole Miss, you know, there's one way to beat Kentucky – uh, if you're Ole Miss, it's it's to really air the ball out. Well, guess what Mississippi State does just about better than anybody right now. It is air the ball out. So this is a this is a a tough game for Kentucky to say the least because it just it plays exactly against their biggest weakness. Uh, again, that's a 7:30 kickoff on SEC Network. And our sixth game of the week, uh, finally going to throw them on the board because I was just waiting to do it one week and everybody called me a homer and whatnot. But sixth game of the week, Carolina at Duke, battle for the bell, right? Big rivalry game in Durham, 8 p.m. start on ACC Network. Sure, neither of these teams are ranked and, you know, neither of these teams are going to have huge, uh, huge postseason implications by any means, but... Carolina comes in at five and one. Duke has lost a couple this year, uh, but this is always, you know, typically a good game. hasn't You know, hasn't necessarily been a close game the past couple of years as Duke has been on a downward turn while Carolina was rising. Uh, the past couple of years have been pretty handily won by the Tar Heels, but Duke is a much better team this year than I think people have given them credit for, or I think people realize they could be. They've got a tremendous new coach, and this is coming from a Carolina fan, you know, who bleeds Carolina blue and despises all things Duke. I'll be the first one to say they've got a heck of a coach and they've got a very solid team this year 
And this is a game that Carolina as well cannot afford really to lose. And I say that from the standpoint of uh, most most betting odds had the heels at around five and seven this year. Well, they've already won their fifth game. A win on Saturday would would be win number six. And then you've still got you still got Pitt coming up, Virginia, Wake Forest, uh, Georgia Tech, and NC State. So three of your last five, of course, are coastal opponents. Those are the ones that really matter. Wake and State, you know, obviously you want to win your in-state rivalry games, but in terms of, you know, coastal implications, those don't necessarily matter. I mean, you know, at the at the end of the day, Carolina could very well be looking at a very solid, you know, seven and five, eight and four kind of season at at, at this rate, uh, which is a lot better than I think people realize they a lot even better than I, right? honestly, I really thought we could do, uh, especially after the uh, the Georgia State game and the Notre Dame game. Uh, but, you know, it's a big game for both teams. And I think for Duke, you know, this would be a big statement win, especially for a first-year head coach to be able to come in and take down Matt, Mac Brown, who has won 11 straight against Duke, going all the way back to his first tenure in Chapel Hill. Uh, you know, th- this, this is a big game for them, especially at home. It's already sold out. It's going to be a heck of an atmosphere in Durham, nighttime game, primetime, ACC Network. There's just a lot of things going with this between two teams that, you know, just don't like each other. And that's what rivalries are supposed to be. And then, of course, you've got the prized, uh, you've got the prized bell, the, the victory bell that everybody is playing for in this one. Carolina has held it for a number of years now, so I know Duke is chomping at the bit to try to get it back in their hands. So that'll be a good one on Saturday night at 8 p.m. I want to remind you that each and every single week, by uh, usually on Friday, by Friday afternoon or so, we'll have all of these games posted in a graphic for you to follow along throughout Saturday. We'll also have corresponding polls going up, so you can give your thoughts on who you think is going to come out victorious on this. And, of course, we want you to join the conversation. Let us know what you're going to be watching over the weekend. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. The extra point. The extra point this week goes to New Mexico State. New Mexico State Athletics and its multimedia rights partner Learfield announced a pair of football and basketball games against in-state rival New Mexico will be broadcast in the Navajo language. The October 15th New Mexico State football game will be the first broadcast, followed by the New Mexico versus New Mexico State men's basketball game on December 3rd in Las Cruces. Both the football and men's basketball games will be broadcast in the Navajo language on 107.3 FM KCYZ, also based out of Crown Point, New Mexico. The Navajo language broadcast will also be streaming on the Varsity Network app. Fans can download the app for instant access to free game day audio streams and receive push notifications to remind them of games starting or upcoming audio broadcasts. Both the English and Navajo language broadcasts will be available on those two dates. Playing us out this week is the New Mexico State Marching Band with the Aggies Fight Song. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode. Thank you.